Good IT, how are you going? I'm good, V. How's your week? My week has been fantastic and I've been super excited, super excited about today's show, which is Tara Jean Stevens, Vancouver uh, radio and television personality, but also uh, the producer of one of our favourite podcasts, Heaven Bent, that we've listened to uh, over the last couple of months. And it's been an amazing podcast and it was something that made us very jealous because we heard it, it was so slick, so professional, and here we are coming from our dodgy home studio. Super excited about today. Thank you so much. I've been listening to your pod too, so it's great to connect. My favorite is the one where you talked about speaking in tongues, sharing your experiences, how they were different in different churches, and just hearing you guys talk about the Australian experience, something that I experienced, but the Australian version of it has been a real trip for me. Oh, good. I'm glad. Yeah, that was my favorite episode too. I, I I adored that episode. Actually, we've just aired an episode around healing and miracles and we had a really good laugh over that one too. So you can catch up with that one at some stage soon. Nothing sacred, I guess. We're just laughing at everything. So can I throw a question to you? Because we want to make this all about you 100% because you've just got so much that we want to know. But who is Tara Jean Stevens? Well, today I'm a 42-year-old mom. Um, as you mentioned, like I, I host radio and television shows, uh, but I do come from originally from the theater. So I'm an actress and a playwright. So I think all of these worlds have combined to sort of give me this ability to create a podcast that so far seems to be going pretty well. And I didn't know when I started to make it that I was going to tap into this sort of world, you know, in Australia and the States and England teenage fundamentalists like you guys who are deconstructing or, you know, rebuilding their their faith, reimagining it. I always wanted to be careful that I didn't make fun of any of my experiences or the people who are guests on my pod. I wanted to make sure that it was a space where I could talk about our spiritual experiences, but also have a laugh because sometimes the stuff that we did was really weird and odd. Tell us about your teenage fundamentalism, though, growing up. Were you born into it? Were you converted? What, what's your backstory? Uh, well, it was always, you know, from my mom's side of the family, uh, very fundamental. My grandma was a Christian. Her grandma's before that. My mom was a Christian, but she was a backslider for most of my childhood. So it wasn't until I was, you know, between the ages of 8 and 12 where we really started going to church. We started off in a four-square we flirted with some vineyard churches, and then we moved to Prince Rupert, which is way up uh, the BC coast, the you know the Canadian coast, close to the Alaska Panhandle. Very remote community, very isolated within that church, even more so. Um, I went to the Christian school too, so that was my entire life. And the Pentecostal church experience is where things got really serious. It became our entire life, you know, seven days a week of church. And it was when I was a teenager, early teens, that the Toronto Blessing Movement spread to our church. So I was really curious, like, if I could throw a qu back a question at you guys is, you know, when you heard my pod and heard me talking about the Toronto Blessing, you know, the shaking, the falling, um, you know, claims of gold teeth and gold dust falling from the sky. Is that something that you guys experienced in Australia? Did you call it the Toronto Blessing or something else? Yeah, we, we did call it the Toronto Blessing, and it, it was something that caught on, uh, and it became quite big, actually, in, in Australia. But for me, my personal experience was when I started to see that, and it was coming into the Pentecostal scene, I, I called bullshit on it, and I didn't really get it. I didn't get into it. A lot of people did, and a lot of those near and dear to me did, and um, that's where I might actually throw to T because uh, he was near and dear and did get into it a bit more than me. Yeah, I got totally into it, like absolutely, yeah, it, it immersed in the whole Toronto blessing thing, 100%. So I was involved in, there was an Anglican church that had a, an outbreak of the Toronto blessing, so I connected. church? Yeah, an Anglican church wow. um, that, that actually went to Toronto. The ministers went to Toronto and caught it like a disease, like a virus, and then brought it back and started running meetings in their local church. Funny enough, 
I actually live in the same suburb now and we do, I do actually call, I say to people, they say, where do you live? And I say such and such. And I tell them, you know, the fall down capital of this city. And and people get that. Yeah, it was huge. And even to the point where I was in the Rodney Howard Brown choir for no his events when he came. Yeah. And you read stories. I was reading a testimony the other day of a young girl who was saying that she was at one of these meetings and it just wasn't happening to her not true for me totally happened i was just like right into it touched by it moved by it thrown around by it yeah i can remember Rodney howard brown walking behind me and i grabbed his leg and you know and then i don't remember what happened next and i wake up and i'm on the floor the whole thing totally so when you when you say the toronto blessing me personally i totally get it but i think most pentecostal australians that were alive and you know aware at that time 100% we got it and and there was quite um there was a range of speakers who were wheeled out in australia and rodney hal brown was certainly one of them and in quite often did the circuit in the large pentecostal churches and would have rallies that would go for you know, a week, and they would pack the house with a few thousand people every night. Like, it, it was quite madness over here as well. Um, but it was quite divisive. It really did put uh, a bit of a split, I think, amongst some people that left and went to more traditional-type churches. However, as T said, you know, it really did come in through those evangelical channels rather than the Pentecostal churches first, I think, here. Would you agree yeah. with that, too? Yeah, definitely. It came in through the sort of the Anglican charismatics and the Baptist charismatics and those kinds of people. And then w- when it broke in Brownsville, which was an Assemblies of God church, that's when the Assemblies of God in Australia went, oh, OK, it's ours now, and took over and made it about, you know, yelling and shouting while the Anglicans were very much, you know, let the Lord touch you, let the Lord touch you, Isn't that, that kind of thing. amazing, the subtle and even dramatic differences of all of this phenomena and activity and practices around the world and from different communities. I mean, in season one, I definitely explored how the Toronto blessing spread from Toronto to Brownsville to Florida. And I was given permission to use the audio from their archives from years worth of, uh, you know, revivals that they had in Brownsville. And I watched like every single bit of that footage because I knew there was so much to source from for my pod. And what I noticed was, hey, well, it's the Toronto blessing did spread there and there is something similar, but it was also different. You know, there was, and that depends on the leadership, right? There were different rules at Brownsville in Florida than there were in Toronto. There was probably different rules in Australia or maybe in a complete abandon of rules. And it just creates culture. It's church culture, really. Yeah, totally. When, you know, I heard the story where you were telling about these giant marionettes that people had when I was into the podcast, and these, we would have looked at that and gone, that's just weird. But it was a very different experience, even in Australia, even in this city, between what was happening over there at the Anglican Charismatic Church, which was, you know, like I said, you know, let the Lord touch you, very quiet, very British. And then you had over at the AOG, was, oh, Jesus, calm down now, and very American and very loud. Well, I mean, the the marionettes, the puppets that you brought up, that's a great example of how that was something that was recorded in Toronto during the first couple years of the Toronto Blessing. So like 94, 95, 96. And it's really an example of the fact that that church did not have rules. You could be as weird as you wanted. And for the most part, nobody was going to judge you. I mean, it sounds to me like the only place where it started to get a little strange was when women would be lying on the floor, moaning and groaning, their skirts had fallen up and it seemed almost erotic. Like as leaders, what do you do then? This woman's claiming to have a spiritual experience with Jesus, but there's a man in the corner that's accidentally getting aroused. Like as leaders, that is, I imagine some pretty heavy stuff to deal with when you're in that kind of an atmosphere. But it's kind of like gossip to me. I just ate it up. <laughs> I'm like, what? Yeah, I'll, I'll have what she's having. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> so on that topic of culture and, and you know, what was the difference, I just want to sort of go back a little bit and quickly ask you, how is Canadian Pentecostalism different to American Pentecostalism? Because you guys, you know, you, you're one of those other countries that says g'day, eh? Like us, we say g'day, mate. You're not American, and I know you're not American, and I know Canadians very proudly not American, but what was the difference? 
Well, my understanding, I mean, you do have the, there's lots of different kinds of Pentecostal sects down in the States, especially in the South, right? And there is also, um, you know, I'm working on a future season right now, which actually explores the arm of the Pentecostal church in Nashville. And I can't wait to share this one with you guys. It's going to be really great. But one of the things that I've discovered down there is it's very different. There's there's the African-American Pentecostals and Southern Gospel and that kind, you know, dancing in the aisles, speaking in tongues and shaking. Then there's also a much more traditional Pentecostal side of things as well, where they have really long hair and very traditional dress. And uh, it's very restrictive to women. You know, only men are leaders, that kind of thing. And it's been interesting for me to explore in this future season where my Canadian Pentecostal experience branched off in history and where the South took over, where, you know, where did it branch off um, from Kansas City when people started speaking in tongues in the early 1900s and make its way over to Australia. I mean, I'm not a Christian anymore. Why am I still obsessed with this? Why am I still fascinated? Why are we still, why do I still want to sit here and talk to you guys about this when I don't believe it in any anymore? It's because it was meaningful to me. It It meant something to my spirit. And one of the big things for me now is just an absence of tradition and ritual. And I really, really, I get emotional every time I talk about it because I miss that in my life. I miss having somewhere to go where people love me and care for me every week and that I have a tight community around me. I can't go to any church or do any spiritual practice anymore because somewhere back in the back of my head, I can't get rid of what I was taught as a teenager, which was anything that's spiritual that's not focused on Jesus is a direct deception from the devil. So now I'm, I just feel like an, an, an absence of any of that. Yeah, look, I, I think that it, it's certainly something is shared by, by many people that they, they go one way or another. Um, in this space, that if you can no longer practice that, then it's very difficult to practice some other, any other spiritual practice. I think you're right. It it is difficult, and um, for me, even what 25 years on from my conversion story, I'm still unpacking it, and I think I'll be unpacking it until the day I die. It's it's interesting though. We've reflected a couple of times on that connection and that connection with people that was provided through the platform of the church of being a christian and how irreplaceable that is to it to a certain degree but there's elements of it that we miss and there's elements that we don't like we don't like the the baggage it came with the the judgment that came with the that you had to conform to certain ways and that you're only accepted if you were a certain person and we don't miss that, but both of us have definitely reflected on the fact that we really miss that connection. So it's really interesting because that that's obviously quite a pull for people, isn't it? Yeah, and you know, um, bringing it back to my research that I'm doing right now in 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 Tennessee and and Kentucky and that whole area, um, there's I've heard, caught wind, and I kind of want to do a research trip down there. I'm still hoping that borders will open up eventually so I can do it. But I heard that there's a group of former Pentecostals, uh, charismatics, people who aren't Christians anymore, who are like what I described, like you just described, sort of missing something, but not being able to replace it. Uh, And they actually have church, but they've just taken the belief part out of it. So they still get together and sing gospel music and support each other and (laughs) give encouraging words to each other but it's not, and you know, it's not a uh, a prophecy. It's just, hey, I see that you look sad today. I think that I want to tell you something that could maybe lift your spirits today and help you have a good week. And I thought, oh, is there something in that for me? Maybe <laughs> like that. I feel like maybe that's what I would like. People who who understand the framework of it, but without the trappings. Isn't that mainstream? Christianity, you know, those sort of denominational Christianity now, they, a lot of people in there are smaller liberal, they don't necessarily believe all the claims anymore, but they like the smells and the bells and, and that kind of thing. And they like the community. That's really what happened. Is this just a stage in the maturity of the movement that people are going, you know what, I'm going to claim my historical or my ethnic Pentecostalism, however they want to frame it, just like people do with Catholicism. You know, they claim to be cultural 
Catholics or they claim to be secular Jews. Is that what we're seeing? Are we on the the verge of that? I wish that it was like super simple that I could do that. But unfortunately, I mean, there's so many negative connotations for me and for a lot of other people about being a Christian. And right now that's getting uh, a lot of attention here in Canada. Like we're we're dealing with a bit of a reckoning with our indigenous people in Canada as, I mean, I hate to get super dark and I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but they've recently found um, the graves of indigenous children on the grounds of former residential schools, Catholic and Anglican churches. It's making people embarrassed here to say that they're part of these churches, the more liberal ones, you know? And so those are the people who still have some kind of faith that I think are sort of repurposing it into something that works for them. But for me, it's all a mess. Like I would almost, I think, well, I know if I could get myself to accept some kind of new spiritual practice, I would probably wade more into witchcraft than I would back to Christianity. It, and I feel bad even saying that, like the devil's creeping up on me. <laughs> look out. Uh, look, there's similarities anyway. So I think <laughs> I think there's a fine line sometimes, particularly in yeah. Pentecostalism. You, oh, you, totally. Yeah, absolutely. You did touch on that, uh, like the Christianity being a bit of a dirty word in Canada. Um, for us, what we saw through the Trump presidency from here in Australia mm-hmm was that rise of the evangelical Trump follower and just the dogmatic followers of of Trump were quite often evangelicals and a lot of, you know, big-name Christians and ministers coming out in support of Trump. Very much a cult worship. What's your take on that? Like, you're closer to it geographically than us um, and culturally. What, What was with that? Well, it's something that I definitely dove into and spent a lot of time analyzing and researching and talking to people for season two on Bethel Church in Redding, California. And my kind of conclusion, and really I'm just regurgitating things that I heard some of my guests say or blogs that I read, conservative Christians in America do feel like they're in a cultural battle right now. They're in a war against the liberal mindset, against sort of this turn of attitude in their country, abortion and, you know, women's rights and uh, gay rights and the LGBTQ community and all. They just feel like the devil is coming to get them. And so Trump came in and said, I will be your savior. I will be, I will be someone who will lead you out of this. Trump never believed any of that before. He's just saying that because that was a group of people that he could get as voters. I mean, it's so see-through and disgusting. I'm so glad that he is not part of the scene right now. And when he got kicked off Twitter, I mean, for all of us, because here in Canada, we do get a lot of American news. We we digest it a lot more than we probably need to. And it really got to be way too much during Trump's run. It, it was quite frightening. And and I guess just sort of leading on from that a little bit was the whole QAnon thing. I mean, that was bizarre to watch from here. As a bit of a segue into that, what's your take on them? Are they a bunch of crazies or are they a real threat? Well, they are a real threat. They've proven that people who believe these conspiracies, conspiracy theories are real threats, but it's an extension of the satanic panic which I'm sure that there was an aspect of that because it seems like it, there was, right? Like, you, did you guys have yeah. the satanic panic in Australia? It's just an extension. It's like people said for so long that the satanic panic started maybe in the 70s, hot in the 80s and the 90s, and then sort of went away, but it didn't. It just retransformed into QAnon, which is this belief that there is this agenda, these high up people that are devil worshipers, that are hurting children, abusing children, it it just seemed so baffling why people were believing it, but seems like a lot of people will believe anything that gets served up to them in a dark corner of the internet. I think the satanic panic really started, I've heard it said that it really started around Rosemary's Baby and the Omen and the Exorcist and that kind of time. And that's where, which was the 70s, mid to late 70s. And that's where it really started. And then it sort of started to express itself around things like backward masking and you know there's this satanic ploy to control the youth and you know and even into the whole reagan era and everything so it goes into the whole clinton time and then it sort of dies down right and then we, we don't hear much of it and then we get you know right-wing presidents come in and next thing you know it, it, it's back and so I, th- I think i think i agree with you i think it seems to be very much a continuation of what you're calling the satanic panic 
So I want to come back to your podcast because I know a lot of our listeners are really excited about your podcast and they have you know, pointed us to you um, as someone that they'd really like to hear from. You, you've certainly started to touch on this, but more specifically, how did you come up with the idea for Heaven Bent? It was all based on the fact that I had a memory that I didn't understand, that I that nobody ever talked about it. So I thought, was this real? And the memory was being in my late teens, actually, not even my early teens, like, I don't know, maybe I was like 16 or 17, sitting in church and a group of people had from our church, you know, elders in the church had just come back from a trip to Toronto to quote unquote, catch the fire. And they stood in front of us and the one woman stood forward and she was a, a mom of one of my best friends, one of my good friends. And she stood there and said, when we went to Toronto, we felt heat in our cheeks and gold teeth appeared in our mouths. We would raise our hands and gold dust fell from the sky. And we all lined up after the service so that we could look inside her mouth at this gold tooth. And it's weird that such a memory that we wouldn't talk about that. But we didn't. We left church that day. And I don't remember ever having a conversation about it again. And so when the internet came around, whenever that was, uh, my husband, who was an atheist, and knew that I was still struggling with, you know, what I didn't have the word deconstructing at the time, but was struggling with what I believed or didn't believe. He said, why don't you look it up on the internet? So I Googled, you know, Gold Tooth Toronto Church. And that was the first time that I heard of what was going on there, that I heard the words, the phrase Toronto blessing. I didn't know that it was a larger movement. I didn't know that that it had something to do with when we would go on road trips to Southern British Columbia when I was a teenager and go to these massive youth conventions and shake and fall to the ground. That was the Toronto blessing. I didn't know that. I thought it was just something special that happened in Kamloops. Like it was it was really shocking to me to slowly uh, through my research, through books, through interviewing people, realize that this was a greater movement that had spread all around the world. I mean, I had no idea what I was getting into when I first started the pod. So it was as if you woke up one day and found out not all churches handle rattlesnakes. Right. And there's sure. a name for us. We're called snake handlers. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a name for that? What? Yeah, well, it's funny for that sure. that for you was the norm because for us it wasn't. It, it came in and we were a little bit older. We were in our 20s, right? So it came in. It was called the Toronto Blessing. It was linked to Brownsville. It was linked to Rodney Howard Brown, et cetera. Yeah, I didn't um, know any of that until I started my research. The, to me, I think that, you know, with so many young people leaving the church, like just a massive exodus of somebody like me, you maybe could have kept me around if you told me more about the history and the legends and the real life modern stuff that was happening. Because I, I don't know, I felt like that was that's really special. That's still what I'm interested in now. So you, you were saying that you would go to those rallies in a late teen and get caught up in all of that. Were you subject to that shaking, to that falling over, to that crying out? Was that something you experienced personally? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the very first time that I, sh I shook and fell was at one of those youth conventions. Thousands of people in a massive hockey rink. And it came to the altar call and they said, come forward. And they told us that there was this thing that was going to happen to a lot of us when we came to the front that some of us might speak in tongues for the first time if we hadn't already, that we may find ourselves shaking, not to be scared, that it's okay to follow it to its full extent, that if you fall to the ground, that you should trust, you're not going to crack your head open. Jesus is going to protect you. And that's still like a real weird thing for me too, because I mean, one time I can remember being in church and my grandma, who was, we called her Fluffy, she was a large woman, she shook and fell and cracked her head on the piano. And the legend of the story was grandma never even got a goosebump. Like she, there was nothing going on with her head. Gotta imagine like something probably did hurt her head. Like she cracked it on the piano. But at this convention, it was, it was very memorable on, you know, and I still feel sort of like a little bit of like, like it was a little bit of a sacred space in that moment me and my friends, my tribe, my youth group, all standing together, walking up together and feeling like when I stepped into the area where they'd moved back the chairs and the altar, I remember that it felt like walking from cold air into warm water. 
-hmm. And I don't believe anymore, but I know that that happened. I know that something special happened to me sensually. I can remember being at youth camps and B, I know you were on the same youth camps where the Holy Spirit would fall and Mm -hmm. it was tangible. There was something that you could feel. And, you know, you're talking about the warmth and you're talking, and this is well before Toronto, right? And and the pastor would get up and manipulate us all with words, et cetera. But the, the, the physical, like you said, the sensual tangibility of it was there. You could feel it. And I can remember the pastor, youth pastor at one of those camps once looking at me saying, do you feel that tea? That's God. And I was like, yeah, I do. Guess what I think it is now. A really yeah. powerful drone on a keyboard. And if you hold that drone long enough, it's going to vibrate something in us that makes us feel something like connection or, I hate to simplify it, but I think those drones, I, I feel emotionally even taught, those drones are powerful. When I went back to Toronto to do, it was the 25th anniversary and I flew to Toronto from Vancouver to go, you know, just as a witness, a, a research trip for the first season of Heaven Bent. And I was moved by the drones. You know, everyone around me was going nuts. And I was at first like very uncomfortable because I hadn't been back to church in so long. But I could sit there and close my eyes and just feel that vibration in me. Like it was healing me of something I didn't even know was wrong. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? We've we've often reflected on this um, in in several episodes about the emotional experience and, and the, probably the spiritual experience that music brings. Um, and certainly, I can feel very similar things in a church service as I do in a rock concert. And if I really connect with that music, that that does something with me. It, it's really interesting. And uh, definitely the drone of the keyboard is something we've spoken about before and the ability to be able to m- manipulate people through music, you know, building the, the drum beat, bringing in the keyboards, having a soft keyboard in the background while you do an altar call, all that sort of stuff absolutely has an impact. There's no doubt about it. They don't think they're manipulating people and maybe they're not, you know, I don't want to put, you know, but it is kind of a manipulation of a crowd of people. They've learned some skills, right? But there's Mm -hmm. positives that can come out of it too. So I don't know. Do you think it's something that the longer you're in the scene, the more you're conditioned by this, like someone who's just sort of stepping in cold, like certainly you know, you said, Tara Jean, about what you call the drone, what we call the the heavy string sound, the ooh, ah, is what we call it. But that hits people, and certainly people coming in off the street can be can be influenced. But do you think if you're in there longer, you become more conditioned, you become more susceptible to it? I think you can't generalize it. Everyone, I mean, that's one thing that I've learned is in talking with so, in talking about things that we never talked about with so many people who experience the same thing, people you know, who people from the Pentecostal church and the Toronto blessing spread to their church, whether it was in the States or England or, you know, around the corner from me in my same area, everyone's had a completely different experience and journey. So I can't even begin to generalize everything that way. I just know, because sometimes I really wonder, how come, how come I didn't go to church anymore? How come all of my friends married pastors and went to Bible school and are still going to church and are raising their kids that way? What was different about me? Is it my brain? Is I still don't know what that answer is. So I'm not all, all of a sudden going to spit some wisdom, but it's definitely something that I think about a lot. I think it's evidence, the devil, Tara Jane. You're making anti-Christian podcasts now, so it's totally the devil. That's <laughs> what it is. Us too, don't worry. We're teenage fundamentalists. We get it. When I worked, when I worked on uh, in, in season two, I did uh, an episode called The Devil Himself. And I honestly, I, like, I was finding scary music. I was like searching, you know, demonic soundscape. All right, if he's real, he's coming for me. I'm open a door. <laughs> <laughs> but but I think you're you know definitely your DNA your makeup the it, it definitely influences the way you experience things and T and I have reflected on this quite often that in my what 12, 15 years in Pentecostalism and evangelical circles, not once did I get slain in the spirit and fall over. Not once did I um, experience any of that. Um, I'm not quite sure why I was open to it, but I didn't. I can tell you why, because you had bigger demons. That's why. 
Because <laughs> oh, oh, oh. I had it all the time, man. Every chance I got, I was like down. But I don't know if that's maybe, you know, some of the substances I did in between um, the two different church groups that I was in when I had my little backsliding period. I, and I'm serious. I don't know if that sort of opened me up to being more susceptible. But, you know, resonating back with what Tara Jean was saying before about we don't know why and we can't generalize. There were people that were raised in the church a long time, you know, that from birth. And they would go to these meetings and get nothing. And then you get people that are walking off the street and they're falling down and, you know, simulating childbirth and all kinds of stuff. Oh, for sure. And I mean, you know, for me, and again, with all of our different experiences, and I think yours is so valid about maybe, you know, that different kind of life, you know, substances or whatever kind of opened you up to things. For me, I think that the reason why I shook and fell is that I'm dramatic. I'm an actress. I loved putting on a show. And I can remember the first time I fell, it was not voluntary. It was not. I remember having to be very mindful about the fact and facing my fears even about falling backwards. And I'm sure I bent my knees as I fell that first time. I think afterwards, it probably got a lot more, you know, like really giving into it. The more people did it, the more we did it, the more I knew how to move my body and do it safely. But it never felt out of control for me personally. Mm. What's been the reaction from evangelicals to heaven bent? How, how have they responded to you? Is you got good, bad, you got hate mail, you got death threats, what's going on? Uh, well, to start, like I'll I'll talk about how I was scared when I first started. I mean, the first thing that I did when I decided to start researching it and that I was going to commit myself to making a podcast was to call my parents and say, "Are you okay that I'm going to dig into our 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 past and talk about some of the weird things? Maybe contact people that we know in our hometown." I said, "But I'm committed to not making fun of anyone." I'm really just curious. I want to hear about people's experiences. And I wanted to create a space that was comfortable for people who were in transition, people who were atheists, people who believed, people whatever. But I was scared that the Christians who were involved, especially in my first season, were going to be upset with me in some way, that they were going to regret being involved in it. And no one that's been involved in either season that I've published so far has at least to my face told me that they were disappointed. Maybe there was a couple people that I never heard from again, but I honestly think it's because they just never listened. You know, you know, some people don't want to hear themselves talk. They don't, they don't know that maybe I created something special, you know, and I know that I've created something special because of all the people that I've heard from. I know that, you know, when I released both my seasons that, and it was so thrilling for me to have too many messages coming in to be able to respond to them all. And that was like, whoa, there's something really palpable happening happening here. And that it wasn't just deconstructing, you know, deconstructed fundamentalist Christians I was hearing from. I heard from the leader of the Toronto church today. And he wrote me early in season one and said, I just wanted to reach out and let you know I heard about your pod. I actually really in, enjoy it. I'm enjoying hearing your perspective. And he thanked me for not making fun of them. And I was like, all right, okay, okay. Maybe I wow. can keep 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 doing this. But I gotta be honest, like it's like I, I feel like I'm being sneaky sometimes, like I'm fooling people. And I even talked to one of my Christian guests about that. And I said, I just don't want to feel like I'm taking advantage of you because I feel like I'm luring you in. But I don't believe in what you're saying. Like, I think what you're saying is really wild and that you might need to see a psychiatrist. But <laughs> when I'm in my podcast, I make sure to respect those stories as much as possible. It's very complicated. I don't know. I'm still figuring it out. I, th I think you do that well. Like, it definitely give people voice and, and don't make fun of it. There has been some really interesting and amazing guests in both seasons are there ones in particular that stick with you they stay with you and you think and and tell us who are they and why do they stick with you yeah straight up season one her name is melinda fish she was a vibrant member of the toronto blessing movement from the very beginning until close to the end uh she is a very a very tall elegant almost like in a beautiful way with respect, like almost like an alien type woman. And I've seen footage of her back in the day praising Jesus and dancing. And she would take up so much space with her body. And she agreed to be a guest and talk to me about all the good things and all the bad things because she was responsible for the Toronto Blessing newsletter during the whole like bulk of the Toronto Blessing. 
And she was responsible, actually, and had the idea, she said, for investigating the gold teeth claims. She said, you know, hey, guys, this is really fun here and people are getting something, but it's getting a little weird. I think we need to make sure that we're putting a cap on this where people are just being silly and people are actually experiencing something spiritually beneficial, you know. And what I loved about her is that she saw the good and the bad in it and could still keep it close to her heart. And for me, because I did go through a period of time where I really hated Christians. I was very angry. I had to get a lot, before I was able to make heaven bent, I had to go through a lot of serious therapy for a lot of different reasons. But if I had to pinpoint it, I was just very angry. I was angry that that I felt I had wasted a lot of my life focusing on something that wasn't really real, that I wasn't educated properly. I was really mad about that, that I couldn't, you know, when I got to public high school and then into college that I had a lot of trouble understanding, you know, quote unquote, secular ideas, really just science, honestly. And uh, I was really angry about that. But after I got the therapy and I was able to have these conversations with people like Melinda Fish, I realized that there are great examples of Christians in this world. And I think that Melinda Fish is one of them. And I keep her close to my heart for that reason. She was the one that called you honey. Is that her? Yeah, yeah. She's yeah, from yeah. the South. She would say, oh, honey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She she really stood out. I remember listening to that thinking, you just sound like the Pentecostals on the on the videos and tapes when you used to see it. It's yeah. like, you, I bet you're friends with Kenneth Copeland's wife. You know, she was amazing. <laughs> For anyone who loves that sort of uh, aesthetic of the Pentecostal church, that's what's coming in a future season that I'm working on. It's that southern gospel you know tennessee kentucky sort of spiritual vibe it's really it's entertaining and powerful and meaningful and i love it i like up in canada like we were just pretending to be what they are can i resonate as well with you talking about being angry for the longest time because that's something that we talk about we talk about t's angry atheist stage right and i was very much the same as you i i couldn't listen to christian music i couldn't you know i drive past churches and almost spit what was it that you think you had to eventually let go of or what did you feel you had to put down to really move on and become whole again man i wish i had the answer to that i mean i know it required it required acknowledging that i was angry i think i didn't know that i was angry that i felt that there was some sort of loss you know i was 35, I think, when I started to see a psychologist because I went through a period of depression in my life. I'd had a couple kids and I was working really hard and just sort of hit a wall. And so when I started seeing her, you know, I thought, okay, I'm just here to get happy again, you know. And then the more we would talk, I just kept bringing up church stuff. I just kept bringing up church stuff. And then finally, it was this doctor that says to me, you know, this is a real issue for you. I think that we need to go to go further. So I can't remember what it's called right now. I always get the name wrong, but it's like um, EMT or something like that. It's like these little vibrating things that she put in my hands. And uh, it was a treatment that they used for soldiers when they came back from war and had PTSD. And so what she did was she put these little vibrating pads into my hand and I had to close my eyes and I had to, she would just ask questions and I would have to talk about an experience or a memory. And it was a very emotional triggering time for me for a couple of weeks. We did several sessions. And then I remember about a week after the last session, I I just, it, and it's never come back again. The anger is just gone. It just, I, I let it go. And I knew that like, nobody was out to get me. Nobody did anything on purpose to hurt me. The people who from my church who told me things that impacted my life and made me live in a spirit of fear, until I was into my 30s. They didn't do that to ruin my life or make it bad. They really did mean well. And I think understanding that that's where their heart was just allowed a a softening in me and allowed me to have the conversations that I have now with people and value their testimonies, not just snort and roll my eyes. No, this was a really powerful moment for you. I want to hear more about it. I want to know what I can learn from your experience. It's quite gracious given um, obviously the trauma that it caused in your life as well. Well, who knows? I could switch things up in a year and be angry again. You never know what's going to happen, right? That's this journey that we can't predict. I mean, and that's also what happened in in season two for me. By the time, uh, you know, looking into Bethel, when 
when I did season one on the Toronto Blessing, I never came across, and I, I know that there was trauma. I know that there was problems, but it was mostly just about ethereal stuff and spiritual experiences. And then when I got to season two and started looking it, uh, into Bethel Church and Reading, it was much more American. It was much more political. There was way more trauma. I had people coming out of the woodwork to say, hey, I need to tell you my story. And it re-traumatized me a little bit. So I think by the end of season two, I was a little raw and felt some of those feelings of anger come back up again. I just needed to take a break in order to to feel sort of calm again about it. Bethel seemed like a frightening church. Like it seemed incredibly cultish listening to that. And there were certainly some some guests on that that seemed to be right into it and and definitely so immersed into that that cult life that it sort of made me shudder quite quite a few times throughout that that uh, sorry that season. Yeah, there was that young girl that was that you had on over and over again, and she was immersed in the School of Supernatural Ministry, and you could, yeah, my heart just went out to her so often. You know, she was dealing with mental health issues, she was separated from her family, she's in the midst of COVID. To be honest, when I was listening to that, I was thinking, wow, Tara Jean, how did you get her to speak? And does the church even know that she's speaking? Are they going to silence her? Are you going to come at the end of the end of the season and say, and I never heard from her again? Anytime that I write someone to request and and ask, invite them on the show to be a guest, from the very beginning, I've always been very clear with people in my very original email, I am not a Christian. This is not a Christian podcast, but I, you know, make it a point to make it a, a, a safe space for anyone to share their opinions and that your opinion would be really valuable to my conversation, to my project. And most often I don't hear back from people if they're Christians. The non-Christian ones usually are very eager to talk, especially people who have experienced personal trauma and have a story to tell. So I was shocked when she wrote me back and agreed. And I almost wanted to write back and say again, uh, I'm not a Christian, not a Christian pod. Like I, and I went, no, let's just let's just do it. And then again, those feelings of I'm conning someone, I'm, I'm manipulating someone, I'm using someone for their story. She's so vulnerable. I mean, that is the word to that I would use to describe her. And I was so grateful that she was willing to share her journey with me because she knew what she was involved with wasn't perfect. She knew it was controversial. She knew that there were highs and lows in what she was involved with. Um, and I just, I can't thank her enough for for telling her story and for also having a listen and then writing me back and saying that she was still glad she was a part of it. I was like, phew, fee. Because again, that goal of making sure that all my guests are pleased and you know happy with the fact that they were involved is so important to me. So unlike the pastor of the current Toronto church, I would imagine that Bill Johnson hasn't reached out to you? Yeah, no, not at all. I mean, I, I reached out tons of times to, uh, you know, just the general church. And I did have a back and forth going on with their communications guy who I'd heard a lot of good things about from former members of the church. Yeah, talk to him, talk to him. And I did have a good back and forth going on with him, including the promise at one point that, you know, once they got, because they were dealing, while I was working on the project this season, they were dealing with a massive COVID-19 outbreak in their school, in their supernatural school. So he was sort of focused with the backlash of all that. And he said, you know, after this dies down, I'll get you some interviews. But he just would never write me back again once it was sort of up and started. They just didn't want to talk to me anymore. And I mean, whatever, maybe that doesn't mean anything. Maybe that means just they're busy and I meant nothing to them. But I sure would have liked, and I expressed that in the end of season two, I sure would have liked to have spoken with a legit current leader of the church. I did speak with one guest who was a former teacher, but he's sort of fallen away. So it wasn't as powerful, I think. Yeah, I think there's very much a behavioral norm with a lot of the Pentecostal churches that they will just cut you off. They will just, you know, and charismatic churches, evangelicals, that if they think you're going to be hostile, they just they cut you off. And that's a lot, you know, I mean, that mirrors a lot of the shunning. It's like when people leave, it's the same way that they're, that they're treated as well, oftentimes. And maybe it's not intentional, maybe it is, but there's definitely that, you know, you don't suit our narrative, you know, and maybe it's not just about making sure that they're not misrepresented. Maybe it's also about 
I don't want to hear from you because what are you going to do to my belief system? What are you going to do to my structure? What are you going to do to my worldview? Yeah, I don't know. I feel like a lot of those, a lot of the people that I talk to that are still in it, like they're so hardcore. I mean, I'm not trying to deconvert people. I'm not tr- like I'm not trying to do that. If there are people who have questions and concerns about the church that they're involved with, I do hope that my podcast will help them ask questions and just again have that space and time where they can think about things that they were told never to think about. I'm wondering um the school of supernatural having a covid-19 outbreak if that the irony of that was lost on the students. Well, I mean, even the guest that we were speaking about who was a, a student in year one of their three-year program, um, she she's a nurse. When she started telling me about her belief beliefs on masks, that they don't really do anything, and that the whole social distancing and quarantining is really just the government trying to control us, I thought, oh my God, is she learning this in school? Are they literally brainwashing her one month into this? But she'd brought that with her. She'd brought that with her from her own church. So it's something that is not, you know, it it manifests there in, in big ways. And I do believe that their breakout had, you know, it was so large. Like it was a very large breakout. It was one of the largest breakouts in schools in the country. And it was making national headlines you know, I do believe that it had to do with the fact that some of their leaders were very anti-mask. They may have not been preaching it on the pulpit on a Sunday, but their social media, the whole time I was researching this story, was full of misinformation, just full of it. It was disgusting. Yeah, it's quite interesting. It's something that definitely has infiltrated the the evangelical Pentecostal scene within Australia, um, being very... Yeah, it's it's definitely about that um, new world order being brought in and um, the ushering of of Satan's ways through this COVID nineteen pandemic. It it's quite frightening, but we've seen it many times before, haven't we? This sort of behaviour. That's right, and they'd even call it a hoax, is what they're calling it. They're calling yeah. it the you know the COVID hoax. And it's interesting, people who I never would have thought would have responded this way are responding exactly this way. But it also makes me wonder if I was still in it. Would I be responding this way? I ask myself those same questions all the time, you know, and it comes back to that. How come me? Why did I walk away from it? Why couldn't I be there believing that same thing and not wearing a mask? I don't know. You've told us about the response from evangelicals and from ex-evangelicals, right? People that have walked away. What's been the response to the podcast from the broader community, both Canada and worldwide? Yeah, I mean, the podcast has done really well. Um, In both seasons, it was charting in countries all around the world. Even now, like outside of the launch period, it's still charting in lots of different countries, which is so cool for me because it'll all suddenly like, because I'll watch the charts every day. And for example, like say a couple days ago, oh my gosh, I'll call my husband over and go, look, I just started charting on the podcast charts in Nigeria. And then all of a sudden I'll get like hundreds of listens in Nigeria. And I know it's because one person said to one person and it spread through a group and they all listened and the same thing will happen. It'll be Norway. Oh, now all of a sudden there's like this attention being given to it in Norway. And I do believe that most of my audience are people who are interested in sort of the dark side of the church, but there's definitely a strong following of people who are just fascinated with something that they've never personally experienced and that Heaven Bent has sort of opened a door to this world that they had only ever seen on television on Sunday mornings. I don't don't know if it's just the Nordic countries, but even we trend in Norway and Finland and places like that. So don't, yeah, don't overthink that one. I think, I think, I don't know what it is, the progressive societies, they're they're just listening to our our post-religious bullshit. But it's got to spread somehow, right? Like, I just love imagining how, like, how it comes up. I mean, it it shows up on Apple iTunes suggestions and however you want to roll. But I think word of mouth in this case is really powerful too. It's like a revival, isn't it? (laughs) <laughs> yeah they're catching the fire b that's what's happening they catching are. the fire yeah hey we're nearly out of time and i just want to ask you two quick questions right the first one yeah. is i noticed that rodney howard brown was conspicuously absent in season one on toronto blessing was that intentional it was definitely a choice that's for sure and it was because there was 
so many people. I was mentioning so many people, so many places, so many movements. And it, I'm, it's only me working on it, right? And so season one, especially in season two, I had to. I had a deadline. All of a sudden, my network is like, okay, we have a launch date. And I had to go, oh, I had 12 seasons planned, but now I only ha- I have to condense everything because I only have two months to produce this and get it out. And so that's really why I dropped him. I did tons of research. I had audio. I had the story of the whatever. But at some point, I just had to drop off some of those players and, and really focus in when I extended away from Toronto. I decided to focus in on the Brownsville revival because I had got the archives. So I... I focused in on that. But I mean, I could go back and just go, oh, that podcast on, you know, that episode that I planned on this person or this person, you'll never know what you were missing, right? But it's only people who know who know what's not there. Yeah, because for, for the Australian Torontoness, if that's a word, it was very much, he was very much the the key leader. He was the key figure for us. And maybe that wasn't true. Yeah, not here. Not here. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, that wasn't true globally, but he he really capitalized and came down here and held events at, you know, sports and entertainment centers and filled them. Like, B, you were talking about, you know, thousands of people. It was tens of thousands of people turning up to his events. And I can remember finding out that they were all staying at the Hyatt, even his band. And I was like, oh, wow, those offerings must be really working if you're staying at the Hyatt. Well done, guys. But my second question to you, Tara Jean, is what comes next? I know you're working on this podcast, right? You're working on season three and it's going to be this classical Pentecostalism, but what comes next for you? Well, I mean, to cont- I think what's important to me is just, I thought when I was working on season two, especially near the end and things were just feeling really, I was really triggered and just kind of absorbing everyone's trauma a little bit. I thought, oh, I'm never going to do, I'm not going to do any more seasons of this. I'm going to have to do some vapid comedy podcast in order to cleanse my palate. But all I needed was a week off and I was right back at it. And that's because of the requests that I've got for future seasons. So the one that I've mentioned um, that focuses on uh, a Pentecost sect of the, you know, sort of a branch of the Pentecostal church in Nashville, that's one that most people will, this story, most of you have never, ever heard of. So I love that I'm being able to research something and bring it to the table to a totally fresh audience. But the other season that I'm working on, and I'm not promising it yet, but I've done some extensive research and some outlining on it, uh, will be about IHOP. Do you guys know that one? So the International House of Prayer is a Kansas City, Missouri-based church. And uh, I've got people lining up around the block to tell me stories of some pretty shocking things that have happened within this movement. And it's, again, all connected Toronto blessing, Pentecostalism, charismatic sort of church, but I think it wades deeper into into trauma and the negative sides of the church. So what I'm asking myself is how long can I carry on this really balanced sort of view of something when so much negative news, so many negative stories are coming at me? I know a lot of our listeners would be really upset with this if we didn't suggest to you to cast a glance over at Hillsong, which is, you know, uniquely Australian. I don't know how much you've seen of what's going on with Hillsong, but you've got, you know, the Biebers and the Pratts and the Gomez's and all these famous names. We would love to see you do something really balanced and, and objective if you could on Hillsong. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely the number three, like request for me. Uh, YWAM is another one. A lot of people request YWAM. And you know, the wonderful thing about Hillsong, and that's definitely something that I've thought of doing in the in the future too, is because it's all connected with Bieber. And did you know Bieber has a strong Toronto Blessing connection? So Justin Bieber is from Canada. He grew up in a small town outside of Toronto. And his mom is heavily involved with, uh, the, you know, the, the whole Toronto church. And there's actually this wonderful legend of a story. And I've got a guest in the back, uh, sort of in the background, waiting to tell me the story when I'm ready for it. But he was at this church outside of Toronto when the leaders of the Toronto church came there. And a very young Justin Bieber went to the front with his mom and they prayed over him. And in front of the whole church, they prophesied that he was going to sing and change the world. And this legend in his life, like I'm sure that prophecy, because he's very Christian now, he's really come back into the fold. Um, I'm sure that he cherishes that prophecy because he did become a singer and change the world. But you know what? A lot of people received that prophecy 
and didn't become singers and change the world. But he did. And there's something powerful about that. And I mean, man, yeah, I was while I was working on uh, season two, Bethel was when all of the American Hillsong stuff was falling apart. I can't I, I could sometimes I couldn't even bear to to double click through to an article because I knew I was going to end up getting distracted and wanting to start working on yeah. something right away. Because that is, yeah, and I'm definitely aware of what, um, you know, obviously, but that traces right back to to Australia. Yes, that's right. It's, it's like Toronto in reverse. You can pull yeah. it back to Australia. It's, um, I feel like we've got some scoops here that you're going to be working potentially on IHOP. You're going to be talking about the Beebs. I once reached out, I've got a couple times reached out to his mom, hoping that maybe she would come join me. I think at this point, that's really not going to happen, but I just... I would I would love to hear right from them about their perspective on the Toronto blessing and Justin Bieber's life. It's, you know, he's he's one of the people that's being set up by the church right now as, you know, if we talk about like in season two with with Bethel, they talk about the seven mountains mandate and, you know, really as a Christian deciding which of these spheres you can succeed in and, you know, manifest heaven on earth. And Justin Bieber is a great example of the world of entertainment. Right now, Justin Bieber, Chance the Rapper, and a whole bunch of other like massive artists in the States are holding uh, what in LA, I don't know when it is, but it's coming up soon. And it's being described as a volunteer event, but it's really going to be a worship service according to the description they're going to be they're going to be trying to convert people at this volunteer event sounds like a super spreader event <laughs> again connecting it back nice connection <laughs> yeah two yeah. viruses spiritual and and natural um the other thing i think about this is that it's not new right the use of celebrity we can we can look back you know whenever there's a a famous person they they would be lauded out at the tent revivals or, you know, even on television, et cetera. I can remember there was noises about Sharon Stone at one stage attending mega churches, et cetera. But we really saw Scientology take that to a whole new level. And I wonder if there's some learnings from that, that, you know, Pentecostalism or Charismania, whatever you want to call it, have sort of taken and gone, okay, we've seen them do it. Let, let's us do it. Let's take these these names and and lord them. It seems somewhat different to what it was in the 90s. We joke. It used to be a famous jockey and a guitarist in Australia, and that was that was kind of it. Now all of a sudden they've got, you know, the Australian Idol, which is you know American Idol's Australian version. The the first winner of that, he's a former charismatic, and we reached out to him to get him on the show, but no, he's not keen. I don't I don't think he wants to alienate his audience. Right. And he's also not walking around being weird, shaking and speaking in tongues. And, you know, there's a palatable type of Christian that Justin Bieber has become, but he didn't start that way. He was born and and raised in the Pentecostal, you know, Toronto blessing, shaken, falling down on the ground bit. But he knows that's weird. It's not palatable to the rest of his audience. We are looking forward to hearing more about that um, and certainly looking forward to, to next season. It's going to be amazing. And maybe we could get you back again one day to to talk about that because I know, for one, I have absolutely loved today. It's been amazing chatting with you. It's been my pleasure, guys. I'm so happy to connect. I was happy when you reached out. I love listening to your pod and knowing that, you know, somewhere on the other side of the world, there's people who know that these conversations are important. So thank you for what you guys are doing. And it really means a lot to know that I'm not alone. Yeah, it's nice to know that there are other people halfway around the world just as fucked up or perhaps even more fucked up than you, right? <laughs> <laughs> We're all messed up. That's that's where it's at. Group therapy session quite often, which I think is very, very important. I mean, this processing of of this stuff, I think, is, is critical um, for moving forward and and taking some of the the positives, finding the positives, pull them forward in your life, um, and apply some of those learnings. I think that we've got from the traumatic experiences that uh, we've been part of. Well, I can't wait to chat with you guys again. Let's definitely do it, and I'll keep you updated. I'm hoping to have uh, a new season around Christmas time, and then another one soon after that. Thanks so much for coming on the show. We've really, really loved having you, and we'll see everybody next week. For, I think we're going to be doing psychopaths and narcissists in the church. Just that soft little topic next week. Is that right, B? Yeah, no doubt. Not much to talk about because they're few and far between, as we know. Yeah, it certainly wasn't us. It certainly wasn't us. <laughs> no. <laughs>
Szilárd.